the things we're being asked of now in agriculture are not just about growing crops and food. I mean, it's a big part. But we're being asked to be environmentally aware of how it impacts uh, not only our physical environment, our air, water, and soil, but how it affects our cultures. And that's a really important shift in the way we do things. Welcome to Water Under Pressure, a podcast about the increasing demands on water in Colorado and how the choices we make now could tear us apart or help us to navigate our uncertain future. I'm your host, Kristen Uhlenbrock. When 90% of water in Colorado is tied to agriculture, what happens on the farm matters. Rethinking water means rethinking agriculture. So we're spending time in this bonus episode talking about dirt. I had the chance to talk with Jean Kelly, a professor from Colorado State University. We had a wide-ranging conversation, talking about the innovation happening in agriculture, soil health, and even the difficulties of behavior change. Anytime I have the opportunity to speak with Jean, I leave a little more informed, a little more curious, and a little more optimistic. I hope you do too. somebody asked me, where are the worst soils in Colorado? I go, our research centers. This was like about 10 years ago. So now our soils are good because we we practice what we preach, right, at the research centers. But a farmer said that to me. He goes, well, this won't work because the research centers have the best soils. I go, well, not really. You know, you want to trade? You can take ours and I'll take your soil, you know. My name is Gene Kelly. I'm a professor of pedology at Colorado State University. I've been a professor there for over 30 years. And my current role is I'm the deputy director of the Colorado Agricultural Experiment Station. And I have the privilege of working with all of our stakeholders through our research center system. And I, I manage that with uh, Dean Pritchard and Troy Bowder and Amy Bibby and a bunch of great people. And we try to keep agriculture informed and prosperous in Colorado, and, but using science out in front of everything. I spend most of my time now just really thinking deeply about how we need to be careful about what we're saying because the science has to support everything. There's an enormous draw to sort of saying, well, you know, soils are going to solve all the problem because we're going to, you know, we're going to, uh, we're going to fix carbon and we're going to reduce CO2 in the atmosphere. And those are really interesting aspects. But in a lot of ways, we're reaching beyond what the science is really telling us. Agriculture is enormously successful. There's no doubt about it, particularly in, in, in North America, in sustaining the planet around the world. Now, that's not to say that there aren't problems around the world, but, but with that success came a cost. And it was, in my opinion, mostly the, 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 the degradation of our soil ecosystems. The history of soil degradation is not new. Humans have been altering the landscape for thousands of years. Erosion and loss of nutrients have been happening because of deforestation and intensive agriculture, as well as natural processes. It can take hundreds of years to form one inch of topsoil. That's why having healthy and functional soils is critical to productive and sustainable agriculture. And ultimately, healthy soils will impact the water needed to farm. What started happening was we started seeing things in soils that just didn't add up, like we're losing a lot of nutrients. And it was like, you know, we didn't have to worry about this before. We didn't have to worry about adding calcium. We didn't have to worry about adding potassium or phosphorus before. But then it became a bit more 
important to maintain production levels in soil. So we saw declining nutrient levels, and then you know the response to that, as any you know good stakeholder would do, is well, we need to add supplements. We need to supplement that with fertilizers, and we became very fertilizer dependent, and we are today. But that was a kind of a wake up call, I think. That wake-up call that Gene is talking about is an approach called regenerative agriculture. There is no single agreed-upon definition of regenerative ag. But in general, it refers to producing food in a way that has a more positive environmental or social impact. It's about creating healthier soils that then benefit the water, nutrients, and biodiversity. What regenerative lets us do, it's a different lens of looking at agricultural systems. It's to look ahead. I'm not going back, you know, and plowing with a horse and plow. It's not about like organic farming and going back. A regenerative ag is going forward. It's saying we need to create new systems of production that we haven't really seen before. And that's a little challenging for some people to really change their sort of comfort zone and say, well, we need to push in this direction. It's a lot of fun and it's challenging, but I think... It's hard to get people to change. I mean, I wear the same clothes I wore in the 1970s, you know, so I'm just saying it's really challenging to change. We all know that change is hard, but it's scalable changes that are needed to solve our most pressing issues, whether that be climate change or food production or the dwindling water in the West. And that pressure to change is being felt by our farmers. What we're doing today is much more important than what we're going to do in five years. So we're sort of at a tipping point where we need to really decide, are we going to go in a different direction or can we shift in a way that doesn't disrupt the system too much? Obviously, we can't just stop doing what we're doing now and do something new, but we try to shift things. And our, our stakeholders are great. They work with us. They're always interested in new things. You can come up with something new, they'll just they'll take it in a second. We're trying to create that culture. In Colorado, we're pretty lucky. We have drought and we have all these other things going on. But I think in terms of the agricultural system and our cooperators and, and our scientists, we're lucky in a way that we're really trying to make a difference. I was on some committee or something with some growers down in the San Luis Valley, and we went out to dinner, and we were just kind of BSing, you know, having a beer and just talking about things. And one of the growers who I really respect, he comes up to me and he says, you know, when I was growing up, my dad grew 15 different crops. And I'm like waiting for him. To, and he goes, you know how many I grow now? Two. And he looks at me and goes, we got to change that. I didn't expect a guy like this to walk up to me and say, you know, diversity is really good in agriculture. And I was sort of focusing on diversity in cropping systems and the way we do things in our cultures. And I got into this whole thing because we know that diverse systems are more resilient. We know that 100%. Diverse systems are more resilient to change because there's like duplicity and there's redundancy. And that's really, understanding that's really important. Another important part of understanding the health of a productive agricultural system is water. It's not just the water flowing through our rivers, coming out of the sky, or sitting in aquifers, but water in our dirt. This water is known as green water, the water held in soil and made available to plants. The green water on the planet is equal to all the major rivers flowing into the oceans. It's an inland ocean, but we just don't know how to measure it. The soil is much like a 
it's it's like you could visualize the soil as being like an ocean, an inland ocean, and there's different degrees of water that are really available, like water that just runs out the bottom or runs out the top, and then there's water that's held on tightly. The soil really holds on the water. It's like a sponge, right? Like the stuff that's in a really fine pores is there for a long time. It can be there for decades. Water sitting in soil. And I, I guess what I'm most concerned about is that the, the moisture that's in soil really regulates the way the soil functions. So when a soil is moist, the capacity to transmit heat into the ground is much higher. So if you have a really dry soil and the air above the soil heats up, the soil's not going to absorb it. It's like when you go to a beach, right? You walk on how hot it is on the surface, right? It, you're, so, so what happens is if the soil is not moist, it's not going to transmit heat into the soil. So soil actually absorbs heat, right? You know, from the air. When you shut that off, the air heats up faster, theoretically. Soils matter not only for productive farmland and regulating localized temperature, but also for understanding just how much water we actually have in the system especially when we're calculating water down to the acre foot and making decisions about who gets water and who doesn't. So understanding the role of water in the soil, the sponge part, might just be an important part of our overall water budget. I started thinking more about soil because that's what I do. And we really don't know how much water is in the soil. And you say, well, Gene, why is that important? So I say, well, we did this calculation a couple weeks ago that the largest reservoir of fresh water in Colorado is in the soils. It's not in the rivers or in the reservoirs, it's in soil. So theoretically, it's a reservoir for water that is understudied. And so we've been pushing a bit harder on that, trying to say, well, if we're going to make these calculations, I think it's important that we can tell growers, this is how much water you actually have in your soil. We're putting an initiative ahead where we're going to go out and try to really ratchet up the technology and soil moisture measuring, you know, using new types of sensors. Whatever we have, we're going to use at that time and just deploy it across the whole state. We need to know how, how dry our forest soils are because that could help us predict fires maybe or the response to fires. We need to know how much water is in the soils of the San Luis Valley, especially the lower basin, right, the open aquifer part of it. I don't think we know how much is in there. And that's going to become important if we're going to be asking people to conserve and if, you know, God forbid they try to monetize it, right? I mean, you're going to want to know exactly how much it is. And, and actually, I believe, <laughs> my colleagues will argue with me, I, I do believe we have the potential to measure water more accurately than we do things like carbon. Because carbon, everybody's doing that. And that's an important thing, don't get me wrong. But I think we can do a better job with water. Another big challenge is getting new ideas and technologies into the hands of farmers and ranchers. Gene believes the research community is changing its way of doing business and focusing more on the co-creation of solutions and getting ideas out there in the practical world. With the threats going on now in terms of climate change and all the things that are happening, the pipeline between research and application is much shorter now. And we have to shorten that pipeline. We can't wait five years for something to get out. We have to work on something and be able to get it out and test it right away. But that, that's a different model for us to take something and get it right out and start using it. So, you know, we work with a lot on farms now. So we do on-farm research. So we have the research centers, or 10 of them around the state, but we actually do a lot of work on farm. Like we go out and work on stakeholders' property and we set up experiments and, and work with them. 
there are innovative solutions already happening across the state. Some small, some big. Some about land use, some about technology, some about behavior change. Here's Gene again. Shifting production to rain-fed systems is something that people have talked about. It's sort of esoteric and theoretical, but the idea is that, you know, if you're going to do production, use your very best systems that are receiving rainfall, that are not eroded, that have the highest nutrient capacity, right? And so really looking at the differences in the landscapes about where, where is most water stored, as opposed to systems that just drain. One of my colleagues, uh, one of our scientists over on the Western Slope wants to start growing saffron. And I'm like, what? Saffron? What, you know, he goes, no, they, they, some people are growing saffron. And I said, why? And then he told me what they were getting per pound. You go to the store and buy saffron, it's like, what, $30 for like a couple of flakes? He said, you know what a pound of that goes for? And I'm like, well, you know, maybe we should start getting into the saffron game. <laughs> but my point is, is that that's a new, that's kind of like people starting to grow lavender. There are lots of those that would be a different income stream. And I think in Eastern Colorado, I really believe the potential for this agrivoltaic thing is huge. If we can figure it out and make it cost effective. Agrivoltaics is when you grow crops or raise livestock around and underneath solar panels. It's a way to make use of the land in multiple ways. We have a lot of sun here. We just got to make it work and, and make it available to people and people will do it. And then, well, oh, then we need transmission lines. I actually believe that's regenerative thinking. I don't think you can decouple agriculture from energy. Yeah, and I don't think you can decouple water from agriculture. And I don't think you can, you can't decouple anything. Regenerative is, a, it's all together. It's one system and, it's a, and we have to create system thinkers, people that think system-wide. There's a program in Colorado that's just getting off the ground called the STAR program. It stands for Saving Tomorrow's Agricultural Resources. And it's designed to help farmers and ranchers identify areas for improving soil health by providing them with technical and financial assistance. It's about giving them tools to make more holistic decisions. This is old school. To go back and pay a farmer for a practice, if you use cover crops, I'm going to pay you X amount of dollars. If you buy into this practice, I'm going to pay you X amount of dollars. So we developed this program where farmers can join in. They go out. They talk to a consultant or a technical assistant. And they, they get their check sheet. You're a three-star. You're a five-star. You're a two-star. And it, it creates a culture of people trying new things. And then they're going to tell us if it worked. Well, I was a four-star, and I did fine. I did better this year than I did last year when I was a two-star. And, they, and it, the light goes on. And it's not a big risk. It's actually stuff they're already doing. We're just nudging them in the right direction. And that's really big, getting people to do certain things and then rewarding them for that. And then they see the benefit. And then they'll say, wow, that worked. What about star plus plus or star plus 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 plus, whatever happens down the road. And it's building a culture of trust. You ask me, what's the probability of the star program making a major change in agriculture in Colorado? And I'm saying, well, you know, I've been here a while. I think it's going to make a big change because we're letting people move into it slowly. It's a real transition. To in my mind, this program is a transition to another program. It's not really the end-all program. It will be a transition to something else. But it's allowing people to take small steps 
it allows us to build trust and let them have faith in us. And, you know, the first year has been a little challenging because it's hard, right? And so we've learned a lot in the first year. And I can tell you, if any of my colleagues listen, if we missed anything, we won't miss it the second year because we, we learned. In Colorado, the value of a farmer's land is closely tied to their water rights. So when the water needed to farm doesn't exist, or the economics make it too expensive, many farmers need to rethink how they grow crops, what they grow, and what they do with their land. And these are not easy decisions. So when I asked Gene about how he views the value of a farmer's water rights as it's tied to their livelihoods, he gave me a bigger picture view of how he thinks about the value of soils and land. If we're going to have to make decisions, let's use science to determine where that occurs. If the soils are not really the best or the most productive soils for corn production or, or wheat production, let's put them into something that makes them useful, and then we enhance the health of that system, not just the soil, but the health of the entire ecosystem. Rangelands are amazing in Colorado. And we just need to be able to manage them a little bit better. And, and we can do that. But I'm saying that's not a loss, but it's a risk. We need to make sure that the ecosystem services that are provided by the land that's been taken out of production, domesticated, and put back into another use, it could be something else. Let's hopefully put it, we'd like to transition it to either a dry land system maybe or to a rangeland, let's just say. We have to compensate them and say that, you know, the value of rangeland is just as valuable as that irrigated corn that you're using now. And I, I'm not an economist, I don't know how to do that, but I really believe that there's no difference between the value of a rangeland soil and a cultivated soil. It's soil, it's soil. So it doesn't matter what the ecosystem, they're all providing ecosystem services, but they're different. So maybe all the biodiversity in Colorado is being held in these soils that are being grazed or that are up on riparian areas up in, in the foothills. And then these lands are providing an ecosystem service that provides feed for livestock or feed for people. The soils are providing an ecosystem service. I'm not willing to say one is better than the other. I think they're all important. I value soil in rangelands just as much as I value soil in irrigated land of the Arkansas Valley or the San Luis Valley. To me, they're all valuable. They all have different values. And maybe as a soil scientist, I haven't really done a good job at sort of communicating that or, or, or setting that standard. What I enjoyed about my conversation with Gene was an emphasis that we need to constantly evaluate how science is done, how it's applied to real world problems, and how it's communicated. All of these need to happen to make progress on wicked problems like climate change and dwindling freshwater supplies. And perhaps one of the key ingredients to make all of this possible is relationships. You hope that the arc of the moral universe does bend toward justice and everybody gets together and we make progress. Climate change is different. It's physics. And the arc is really short and it doesn't negotiate. What I say to all these people is that the work that we're doing now, today, is orders of magnitude more important than the work you're going to do in 10 years. So the work you're doing now is really, really important because we, we don't have time. We don't have 10 years to figure this out. I'm not talking about the end of the earth, but 
there are just things that are going to shift dramatically, and those will be out of our control unless we're able to change things. But this, this is kind of real now. It's getting real. And I think our stakeholders and farmers feel it's real. I, th I think the, the climate change thing, is nobody debating that anymore, right? Right? Remember that? I was out there 25 years ago saying it, and people thought I was a crazy. Who's this climate change guy? But you don't hear that debate anymore. But my point is, I think that we've all, we've all grown together. That's what it is. We've all, we've all kind of co-evolved, co so to speak, in this system. I was in the San Luis Valley last summer. I was driving down there. I, I had never seen that many fallow acres. It was dry, and they, you know they have their issues with water. But fertilizer prices were so expensive. They said, well, "Why would I bother?" Right? That's a big deal. I look at it, and it's land that's barren, so it's going to blow. We're in a tough position, but I mean, I'm optimistic about it. But I'm just saying, I think we're all on this together. I don't think we're fighting each other. And I, not that we ever did, but I, there was always that thing about, about the farmers and the environmentalists, we're all on the same team. We all want everybody to live well, right? And be prosperous and happy and healthy and save the planet. And our best scientists are our farmers. They really are. They know more about the land than most of us. You talk about history of land, they know a ton. They're our best scientists, I think. Thanks for listening to this short bonus clip. If you want to learn more about the research happening at CSU and around our state, check out some of the resources on the website at waterunderpressure.org. Water Under Pressure is a production of the Institute for Science and Policy at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. This bonus episode is hosted and written by me, Kristen Uhlenbrock, and producer Trisha Waddell. Sound design by Jesse Boynton. Our theme music is by Alex Paul of Birds of Play. Thanks to Nicole Delaney and Kate Long. For a full list of credits, check out the show notes. For more information and additional resources on water in the San Luis Valley and greater Colorado, please visit waterunderpressure.org. If you have learned something new from this show, please tell us and rate and review Water Under Pressure wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for subscribing and sharing the podcast with others. 